The Daily 202's Big Idea is supported by Battelle. For 90 years, the employees of Battelle have solved the world's most challenging problems, finding solutions and really big ideas. At Battelle, it can be done. Learn more at battelle.org slash 90. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 17th. In today's news, the White House restricted the FBI's investigation into sexual assault allegations against Brett Kavanaugh even more than previously known. House Democrats intensify their investigation of the Transportation Secretary, and alarm bells are going off after the arrest of a Canadian who had access to America's best intelligence. But first, the big idea. Pentagon officials are recommending a restrained response to the recent attacks on Saudi oil facilities, arguing against a potentially costly conflict with Iran. Defense Secretary Mark Esper met with President Trump and key national security officials at the White House on Monday, two days after a series of explosions crippled two oil facilities in Saudi Arabia, disrupting more than half the Sunni kingdom's oil supply and dramatically escalating tensions with its chief rival, the Shiite power, Iran. While Yemen's Houthi rebels have claimed responsibility for the attacks, Trump administration officials say they believe that at least the bulk of the strikes, which targeted two facilities belonging to the state-run Saudi oil firm, were launched from within Iran, an allegation that, if true, would represent a major escalation between the Middle East's leading regional rivals. But the brass is privately urging caution, seeking to defuse tensions they believe could push the United States into a bloody conflict with Iran at a time when the Pentagon has been trying to wind down insurgent wars in the Middle East and reorient toward competition with China, the big rivalry of the 21st century. My colleagues on the Pentagon beat, Missy Ryan and Dan Lamoth, say that officials have sought to emphasize to Trump over the last 48 hours that no American personnel or facilities were targeted over the weekend, suggesting that a direct U.S. military response might not be merited. They also said that if such a move was deemed necessary, the administration would need to find some kind of valid legal basis to take action, since America wasn't attacked. Moreover, the attacks will most heavily impact Asian countries, including Japan, China, and South Korea. Collectively, Asia imported $132 billion of Saudi oil last year, while the U.S. imported less than $22 billion. Why, people wonder, is this our fight? Now, it's worth noting Senior defense officials have repeatedly raised similar concerns to Trump as the administration has embraced a hawkish policy toward Iran over the past 18 months, including pushing back on the president's decision to withdraw from the nuclear agreement with Iran and to impose harsh new sanctions on Tehran and its affiliates. As discussions continue about what to do, Pentagon officials may suggest taking new deterrent measures short of direct use of force including increasing the number of troops in the region and hardening U.S. defenses. The administration might also attempt to peel European allies away from the Iranian nuclear deal, intensify sanctions, or mount covert attacks against Iranian energy infrastructure as a reciprocal measure. As officials consider these various options, they must navigate resistance on Capitol Hill, where a lot of lawmakers, and frankly in both parties, are seeking to constrain the administration's ability to launch military action. As always... The biggest wild card is Trump himself. The president told reporters yesterday, quote, we don't want war with anybody. But less than an hour later, he said he thinks a U.S. military strike on an Iranian oil facility would be a proportional response. The head-spinning contradictions hold a certain logic in Trump's view. 
but they also throw the imprecision and disarray of Trumpian foreign policy decision-making into stark relief. Trump is caught between a political imperative to confront Iran, to please hawkish Republican supporters, and especially supporters of Israel, and his own political instincts against foreign intervention, and also toward cutting some kind of deal. But uncertainty over where Trump stands at any given hour complicates every foreign policy challenge the United States faces, not just in the Middle East, but really in the world. Despite Trump's interest in meeting with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani, Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini said today that, quote, there will be no talks with the U.S. at any level. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, four days before Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court, Senator Chris Coons, the Democrat from Delaware, urged the FBI to follow up on new information he believed was relevant to the sexual assault allegations made against the nominee. Then nothing happened. Not at the FBI, which assured Coons it had received his letter, but did not interview the person whom the senator referred to the bureau, nor in the office of then-Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley, who was copied on the letter that contained few in the way of specifics. That inaction, made public in recent days through new reports about Kavanaugh's alleged misbehavior, has renewed a bitter debate about how his confirmation was handled, angering Democrats about a process they felt was rushed, and animating Republicans who say they view all these allegations as attempts to assassinate Kavanaugh's character. In an interview on Monday with our Sungmin Kim, Coons said he was disappointed and upset that the scope of the FBI background check, green-lighted by the White House just over a week before Kavanaugh was confirmed at the insistence of Republican senators, was so constrained. One person with direct knowledge of the process told Sungmin that the White House decided what to investigate based on conversations with senators and what they wanted to know. But their concern was Republican senators, not Democrats who they thought were already going to vote against the nomination. Republican senators, all of whom supported Kavanaugh except for Lisa Murkowski, the Republican from Alaska, were largely satisfied with the probe. Max Steer, a Yale University classmate of Kavanaugh's, was one of several people who went to Yale at the same time as Kavanaugh and reached out to the FBI last year seeking to provide information, but they were never interviewed. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, the Democrat from Massachusetts, a member of the squad, will submit a resolution today calling for an impeachment inquiry of Kavanaugh. She will introduce a proposal that would allow a committee to take affidavits and depositions and issue subpoenas in connection with the impeachment inquiry. She says she believes Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and Deborah Ramirez. But while House Democratic leaders downplay the possibility of impeaching Kavanaugh, Trump has seized on the issue. He continues to defend his nominee, going as far as to say last night that the justice is the one who's, quote, being assaulted. Number two, the House Oversight and Reform Committee sought documents from Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao as it investigates what it calls troubling questions into whether the Trump appointee has misused her position for personal and family benefit. Noting that federal employees are forbidden from using public office for friends or relatives' private gain, the committee's letter to Chow cites media reports that allege the secretary leveraged her position to help Foremost Group, a New York-based shipping company that carries goods between the United States and China and that is owned by her fathers and sisters, gain influence and status with the Chinese government that has given the firm millions in loans. The committee cites reporting by the New York Times this summer that the Transportation Department canceled a fall 2017 trip to China after State Department staff grew leery of Chow's efforts to include relatives in meetings with Chinese officials. House investigators are also examining Chow's appearances with her father, James Chow, in interviews that featured the 
Department of Transportation seal. And Monday's letter also alleges that the secretary's father touted Chow's influence within the United States government and boasted about his access to President Trump on Air Force One. While Chow does not have a formal stake in Foremost Group, James Chow has given millions of dollars to his daughter and her husband, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Number three, this could become a big deal. Canadian authorities are working closely with allies, especially the United States, to contain the potential damage after a top intelligence official was charged with violations of the nation's rarely used secrets law as Director General of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police National Intelligence Coordination Center, Cameron Ortis had access to high-level intelligence from the nation's key allies. The center addresses such national security risks as terrorism financing and nuclear threats. The 47-year-old was arrested last week and charged with offenses including obtaining information to give to a foreign entity or terrorist group, communicating or confirming special operational information, and breach of trust. This is important because Canada is a member of the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Network with the United States, Britain, Australia, and New Zealand. Without more details about what information Ortis is accused of trying to leak, who the recipients might have been, or whether he was successful, the potential damage is difficult to assess. But Canada is a net consumer of intelligence, meaning it receives way more from us than it provides, and will probably come under fresh pressure to ensure that measures are put in place to prevent future breaches. Ortis earned a doctorate in international relations from the University of British Columbia in 2006, and he speaks Mandarin Chinese fluently. His doctoral thesis was about cybersecurity in East Asia. The charges stem from activities alleged to have occurred between 2015 and 2019. Ortis is due to appear Friday in court in Ottawa. In related news, a Canadian businessman and his company pleaded guilty to charges yesterday related to the transfer to China of important technical details about a U.S. Navy underseas submarine rescue vehicle. The Chinese are not messing around. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 17th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.